You're listening to a podcast of Business News Background. A weekly roundup of the big stories here in Western Australia. Brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. Welcome to another edition of Business News Background. I'm James Lush from Lush Digital. With us, as ever, the two Marks, Mark Byer, news editor, Mark Panel, the head of content. And uh, we'll start with, as ever, gentlemen, we'll look at some stories from the week, uh, including, I suppose, this main story on the gas side of things, the FMG. Sounds very similar. I'm just turning its attention from iron ore into the world of gas, uh, calling for the reforms of gas reservation. Mark Byer, we've heard it before, just change iron ore for gas. Is that right? Well, that's what Nev Power was pitching. Um, Yeah, look, Nev Power from Fortescue Metals um, launched a report this week, um, Deloitte Access Economics, um, with the boffins who wrote the uh, the detailed paper behind it. Um, essentially, he's saying that if we make some big policy changes, we can get cheaper gas in Western Australia. So it's an enticing call. Um, it's really quite fascinating because it's it's shifted some of the traditional views. Um, people like Fortescue and Alcoa, who are the big buyers of gas, have traditionally been supporters of the domestic gas reservation policy which basically means 15% of gas fields needs to be set aside for the local market. Um, Fortescue has actually changed its stance on that and said, well, actually, we think this is a problem. The big problem they're now saying is that a lot of the gas fields are locked up by the majors. Their focus, of course, is on the big LNG export projects. um, And off the back of that, they're saying that drives up the domestic price. They're saying to the government, Okay, let's enforce the use it or lose it rule. If these guys don't want to develop the big gas fields, let somebody else have a go, develop it just for the domestic market, and I think we'll get cheaper prices. That's the view that Nev Power is pushing. And yeah, he drew the parallel with iron ore, uh, going back 15 odd years when governments did the same thing in the Pilbara and said to the, the majors, who in those days were just BHP and Rio, if you don't want to develop these iron ore deposits, let somebody else have a go. And Nev Power's argument is that if that policy change hadn't happened, Fortescue would not exist today. That's what freed up the Pilbara, let them get their hands on a bunch of tenements. And here we've got the third force in iron ore, as they call themselves. So, you know, he's got history there. And, uh, you know, they're a big buyer of gas. And I just think it's a really great example of, you know, coming out and putting out some really interesting ideas and stimulating some debate. Suddenly the public are very aware uh, of the way that the setup is. Mark Panel, what does that mean? And will, will anything happen as a result of this, do you think? Well, look, uh, I, possibly. I mean, you get a big name like that and a, and a, and a crack in the Dom Gas Alliance is quite quite important. There's an underlying issue here, the gas reservation thing, which to me, and yesterday when this stuff came out, I thought, aren't they confusing two issues here? The gas retention stuff, which Mark's talking about, and the gas reservation, which is this 15% of every gas field should be for domestic gas. And what's FMG, because Dom Gas Alliance has always wanted the retention leases to be opened up anyway, right? And the use it or lose it, it's always been a policy. But talking around uh, yesterday with a few guys in the industry, they're saying that the guys who are in the in the dom gas market, so you call it like the Apaches and the Santoses, are actually a bit stuck because all these other big LNG producers and other gas field producers have got this 15% that they're supposed to be putting on the market. 
but no one is actually doing it. And these guys, the guys who want to focus on the domestic market, uh, they can't invest in the domestic market and, and unlock gas for domestic users because they don't know when this other gas is going to come or if it's ever going to come. So in a sense, they just want that to go away and get some certainty. So I think that's a really interesting um, part of it. And the other thing which I saw some numbers on uh, is just the pure, the possibility just for a group like FMG, if they can, they're switching over to gas, right? And they obviously want to get cheaper gas, but just the switching over to gas is meant to save them something like $40 million a year. Mm-hmm. They use 800 million litres of diesel a year if they're on full throttle, 155 million tonnes per annum iron ore production. So A, they just shifting to gas gets some $40 million a year saving. The next question is if they can drive that price down from whatever it is now, 8 or $12 a gigolier, down to more like 6 or lower, I don't know, I'm, I'm only guessing at the numbers, then you think of the savings again. You can see why they want to do it. You can see why they you want sure to do can. it, absolutely. How interesting. We'll see how that develops. Uh, still to come, uh, we're going to talk about the most influential here in WA in a business and politics background. You don't want to miss that. Make sure you're on the list. Let's look at another couple of stories uh, from this week. Uh, a couple of stories in, in the property space and hotel space. I know we often end up talking about this sort of sector, but it, it is quite significant when you're trying to look at the way the economy is going, isn't it? Yep, yep. Well, look, everyone talks about trying to diversify the economy. Um, and look, there's there's still a bit of activity going on in commercial property development. Um, so, you know, some office developments underway, uh, some industrial developments. Um, and here we're talking about a couple of new hotel projects. Um, so the Accor Group, uh, they've got a 15-storey hotel going up in East Perth. Um, and then um, Serona Capital, um, they're quite active down at Fremantle. They're the group looking at the old Meyer building. Um, they're going to go ahead with a, uh, a Quest Service Department hotel. Um, so, you know, not a lot of uh, commercial development in Fremantle in recent years. So anything they can get down there is good. Um, and then the other one was uh, the government put on um, some extra property on the market uh, down near the causeway, the old chemistry labs. Um, and everyone was quite intrigued to discover what looks like a pretty nondescript 1960s brick building is apparently uh, of heritage value. So that existing building will have to be retained. Now, it's yeah. a beautiful one, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yes. Um, but look, that's another example too about you know this changing shape of the city. That uh, down around the causeway, they call it the Riverside Precinct. You know, there's some big apartments have gone up down there. Uh, Lend Lease has got a, a very big project um, there in the early stages of developing. Um, so you think about that, Elizabeth Quay, City Link near the railway. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening around yeah, the city true. as well. Which, as which comes corner. first? You can have first first mover sort of advantage here because they're all fighting for that sort of we're first, we're the sort of new glossy place. But then it'll be tr- trumped by the next place. Uh, look, you've actually hit on a really big issue there. Yeah, there's a lot of real estate coming onto the uh, sort of inner city market all at the same time. Um, if one of these projects had gone ahead on its own, uh, you'd think it would kick along pretty swiftly. But when all the uh, extra supply is coming on in different locations, um, it's going to be hard to find people to fill all of this space. Yeah, and I guess uh, interesting as well, Mark, once these are established places, are there enough people that are going to go and visit or, or reside in them or work from them? Well, look, on the apartment side, that's the great debate at the moment. In fact, we've got an event coming up in about a month's time that's going to absolutely ask that question because, uh, you know, we, we mentioned it only a week or two ago, Nigel sadly went out there and said apartments are overheated. He's in the land game, so many people have said he would say that. The apartment guys reckon there's a, there is a real shift. Perth is 
growing or maturing into that zone where people just don't want to be out on the fringes they want to be you know mm-hmm. in so we'll see that and I think getting to more Mark's point there what's going to happen down at Riverside and the East Perth side will be a bit beholden to that equation as much as this other equation about what commercial um, opportunities there are at the moment CityLink is winning that race and they're you know King Square's signing up a lot of people we've seen Chevron say they will go down to Elizabeth Quay but you know it's really they've bought some land and they're not building a building yet um, so I think the Riverside question will be really interesting will they get some commercial in there or not and then the other side of that is then does it just become entirely apartments and I just go is that a good thing or a bad thing you know do we want the east end of the city just to be apartments or do we want to try and get this mixed kind of living thing that I think kind of does seem to work well but you know we'll wait and see my, my view is at least things are happening you know even little things mean that people see optimism they're, or they're optimistic you know it's the point you have to only have to drive around the city to recognize how much is happening it's yeah, incredible it's crazy out there. let's uh, look at next week's paper and and, and I love uh, your page 3 feature here Mark Bay. you would, of course with uh, El McPherson um, providing a story for us it had to go on page 3 was that the thinking here well, yes, there's a lovely photograph there of Elle McPherson on page three. Um, look, this is um, this is a great story. Um, she's hooked up with a couple of um, Perth entrepreneurs to develop a um, or launch a new business called Wellco. Um, they've developed a nutritional supplement. Um, but what's fascinating is that that Elle has chosen um, a lady named Andrea Bucks. Um, now, people might recognise her name because she had a product called Invisible Zinc. Um, some years ago, which subsequently got sold to a big US outfit. Um, so Andrea has form of, of developing products and running a successful business marketed to a global uh, market. Um, and Rod Jones, you know, very successful Perth entrepreneur behind the Navitas education business. Um, he's come in as an investor. So you know, I think it's fascinating that you've got those three people who've come together to launch a new product um, with Perth playing a key role um, for a global market. So a really nice business story out of Western Australia. Fantastic. Good. Uh, and, and another story that uh, we touched on last week, uh, Mark Panel, the, the, the Giving Well event that, that was held and uh, some I don't know, more conversation in that philanthropy space. Yeah, look, we had a, a great panel session on Tuesday morning. Um, we had Annie Fogarty, Fogarty Foundation, Tony McCusker, Cusker Foundation and John Poynton from Giving West, um, which, uh, you know, broadly speaking, represent very much the top end of philanthropy um, in, in, in Perth these days. And in many ways, they're kind of like almost the vanguard. There were others like Stan Perrin and the like who kind of led the way. But what we've got here is the, the first people to really step up and say, we do this. We do it and it's good and everybody should be doing it. We've made it, you know, and I think Tonya McCusker was really the one who said on the day, you know, we're a very prosperous place. We're very lucky. We don't realise how lucky we are. And if we do, we don't show it enough. And so, look, they were just trying to encourage people, um, business people, business leaders, both companies and individuals to get out there and have a crack and, you know, think about how lucky we are and what they can do both for you know, their fellow citizens here and, and the broader community. Um, and they had a few a few takeouts. There were a few takeouts there about also about, you know, it might sound easy to get out the checkbook and write it, but they really did explain how that's where it started. 
But then they started thinking, where does the money go? Does it go to a good purpose? And, you know, they started to get a bit squeamish about perhaps they don't want to just fund anything or maybe they do want to know where the money's going. And really that's the big debate that's going on now is that charities, not-for-profits are being asked to be a little bit more like businesses and to be a bit more accountable for what they do. And, look, they had some great stories around that, and you can read that in our paper next week. But it, it, it's fascinating to hear it from, you know, from the people who are involved and the lessons they've learned because they're just learning as they go. There's not a great deal of experience here in this town about being philanthropists, whereas you go overseas and, the, and, and some families have got centuries of experience at it. Good point. Good point. Good story. Uh, I'm James Lush uh, from Lush Digital uh, with us as we discuss business news background today, Mark Bayer and also Mark Panel. Let's look at uh, our final story of the week, which is interesting, which is uh, basically a list that you, I suppose you want to be on. It's a bit like the, the old-fashioned rich list in many ways. Am I on it or not? Uh, this is the most influential in business and politics. Mark. Are you on it? <laughs> you are on it, aren't One you? One of the great joys about, uh, about, about being involved in this feature is we don't have to put ourselves on it. I think just by making the list makes us influential full stop, doesn't it? <laughs> Look, we've done this for quite a few years. Um, in years gone by, we used to invite a secret panel in and have a lunch and and go over the, uh, you know, debate the different people. And um, we've shifted away from that. I think, uh, well, I've done the feature this year and and for many years in the past. Um, and first of all, you learn from those early days, what are the, what are the things during the year that, that are the takeouts that you kind of absorb? And then I think there's a lot of value. I go around and I talk to people on an individual level. Sometimes I don't even know they're being interviewed. They were, you know, you're just having those casual conversations. But, but I talk to people one on one. There's a lot, lot less politicking and a lot less, you know, sort of people, you know, lobbying for this and lobbying for that when it's one on one. So I, I feel like I get a, a more real snapshot. We only really look at business and politics. I think if you go bro- more broadly into sport and all sorts of things, you can you can become very confusing as because I think people who influence the community in general, are di- in, you know, in what they do, uh, is it the Kardashians and all those kind of things are different than the people at the power base, which I look at money and politics. So look, I just broadly, um, people will have to go to the newspaper and look for the names because there's a lot of names there. We've introduced a few more. But I will say there were sort of four key themes that I sort of picked up. First of all, we've had a federal election last year and that has changed the landscape in terms of politics. There are, you know, several um, people who are now very senior uh, cabinet ministers in the federal government. And, you know, th- that, that changes their clout immensely. And, of course, I mentioned... From Western Australia, sorry, yes. And, and, I, and I was going to say Julie Bishop is the obvious one, Matthias Cormann's another one. So there's some names. Um, secondly, and just uh, remaining in the political sphere, Colin Barnett was always seen as sort of a, a, a very strong, not autocratic's the wrong word, but he was very much, you know, out there leading the government. And the, there were others who followed in his wake who were known. Well, we've lost some of them, you know. And, and Troy Buswell, gone... Um, Brendan Grills retiring. Um, Christian Porter went a bit earlier than a year ago to go into federal politics. And then, t- to a lesser extent, Kim Hames, he's still Deputy Premier, but he said he's going to retire. And, you know, that, that kind of takes him out of the, the equation. So what we've got is a changing of the guard, but Colin's still there, and the question is, who next? So that makes opposition stronger, and it makes some new faces stronger. So we're watching those very closely. 
Two other things, iron ore price dropping, iron ore expansion largely over. That takes the big foreign-owned, or foreign-owned's wrong with BHP, but the large multinationals have stepped back. And I think when you look at iron ore, the, the player is Gina Reinhart, Roy Hill. That's the only project going ahead on that side. That makes her incredibly important in this state. Uh, and Andrew Forrest, kind of a second to that, he's still going places, but he's getting into agriculture. So he kind of he's shifting his funds and keeping it local. And finally, um, LNG, oil and gas. Again, expansion over. We might have seen the last LNG plant built on WA soil at least started, right? We might not see another one commissioned. Um, might all go floating. That takes the that takes the uh, influence away from those people who were, you know, the checkbooks who were writing those checks. They're still there. They're still doing things. But when you're looking to the future, you're looking to who are the guys who are going to do something next, which, you know, again, is Woodside. They're the headquartered firm here. So they're the one you kind of turn your eyes to. Very good. We've, we've talked about the most influential in business and politics, and we haven't mentioned one name, which is good, which means you have to look at the paper. Uh, Mark, are you going to just give us any clues whatsoever as to, 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 to a, maybe a surprising addition to the list? <laughs> well, look, when people read through it, we've actually have put in you know, the new names coming in and names coming out. Also, people who are on the rise um, and, uh, and on the decline, <laughs> and on the decline. Yeah, um, and you know, as Mark said, there are still some people running very large businesses here. But if they're not developing new projects, then their influence tends to wane, and that's why someone like Gina Reinhart rates so highly. Um, but yeah, look, at, at around state politics, it was really fascinating to talk about. Um, and you know, look, Mike Nahan is an obvious name of someone who's who's is on the rise, um, but you know where to as we head towards the next state election, and will Colin Barnett still be there? You know he's made some um, um, interesting comments just recently. You know hinting at well maybe he might run again, uh, which was always ruled out. But there seems to be there's been a bit of a shift in some of his comments. He's clearly loving it, isn't he? Enjoying the focus. Um, we could carry on that conversation another day, I think, gentlemen, but uh, I think that'll do us for now. The, the paper out on Monday, of course, the new edition of that, and uh, we'll have another uh, Business News Background podcast same time next week. Uh, gentlemen, to you, Mark, thank you very much. Until next week. You've been listening to a podcast of Business News Background, brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. For more information, go to the website businessnews.com.au.